This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Brian Tishy. Brian is one of the most in-demand drummers in the world today. Brian has performed and recorded with artists such as Billy Idol, Foreigner, Whitesnake, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, Ozzy Osbourne, Don Felder, Vinnie Moore, Michael Shanker, Seether, Velvet Revolver, Zach Wilde's Pride and Glory, The Dead Daisy, Glenn Hughes, Slash's Snake Pit, and is also the founder of the popular celebration events Bonzo Bash and Randy Rhodes Remembered. If you want to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon page at patreon.com slash working drummer. For as little as a dollar a month, you can have access to all our educational content. In recent weeks, we've been adding quite a bit of content. That includes a video from former guests like Bruce Becker. He did a video just for us. We also have a video from former guest Brian Zach, where he goes into how to improve your ride swing patterns and recent guest Mike Malone has five transcriptions of some amazing drummers and classic performances that he has made accessible to our Patreon members. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal. You can find that link on our website at workingdrummer.net. Brian is a super fun interview and a super fun hang. When we first started, he was uh, just waking up, and I think he'd just come off the road. But as the interview goes on, you'll notice this shift in energy that just goes on and on. And by the end, you've got to stick around for the end of this interview. He gets into what he calls tabletop chops, and he's talking a million miles a minute. And you can tell that when he gets behind the drums where that energy goes. And it's just so amazing. Also, I think part of it's edited out where we talk about him playing guitar, but he's doing the interview with his guitar in hand, so you might hear some strumming here and there. But uh, he was super fun, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brian Tishman. absolutely love Neil you know junior high high school was all into him he got really heavily into him and then when I went to uh, Berkeley Music College right out of high school so that would have been like the fall of 1986 I got exposed to so much new stuff at Berkeley as an 18 year old kid there was so much going on I was unaware of at the time you know so 
to get thrown into a music college and turned on to so many different types of music and just drumming styles. And I was like, whoa. And so Neil kind of went, I guess, on the back burner because I was so into him prior to that. But then, you know, things come around full circle. And, and I just because I love Rush, uh, their, their music so much, you know, that stuff comes back around. And then you listen to Neil and you go, okay, yeah, there's guys that I, st I still love from back in the day. Like, you know, I got turned on to so many drummers that maybe you'd see an ad or see a video with Bozio or Phillips on with Missing Persons or something with Simon with Pete Townsend. Oh, cool. But you didn't have access to what they're all about unless you really knew, you know, unless you really um, could either see them live or were aware of all these different styles of music on, you know, stuff they played. Like I wasn't into Jeff Beck in high school. I just didn't have anybody turn me on to it. So I wasn't aware of something like Jeff Beck there and back until um, college. But nonetheless, you know, so those guys are still my heroes and all that. But then after all that, you know, diving down different uh, music, learning, listening to different music styles and all that, I could come back to Rush. And then I listen to Neil and I'm like, yeah, maybe like, you know, quote unquote, technically, He's not at this crazy level that's so many of these other, you know, whatever fusion jazz drummers are, yeah. but man, his style and what he does with it is so pleasing and it's so spot on and it's so focused and it's so him. And, uh, I, I prefer it to so many other drummers that, you know, that I, I think are amazing. And, um, it's probably twofold probably because I love Rush's music, but it's also his, he just seems to hit on everything that drummers and non-drummers enjoy, you know? So you're like, that is technical. Yeah, it is technical. It's, it maybe it's not, you know, uh, <laughs> a, you know, a Virgil Donati playing whatever <laughs> seven against five against three <laughs> or whatever, but man, it's so pleasing. And technically to play that kit, you know, if you've never played a kit like Neil's, like let's say one of the, you know, the monster kits, like the exit stage left, you know, the, 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 the kit he built up to. Right. That is, that's a whole other beast. That's a whole other thing to, to nail every night, you know, just, just to, to play that gig and nail that kit so consistently is, is, and tuned so well, cause he got that stuff for me. He peaked at exit stage left, uh, signals, you know, I absolutely think he just, he got his drums to a place where I'm like, that's it. That, that is the, there's, there's nothing to go. Oh, maybe this or that it's, it's, complete perfection and and that type of drum style and that type of drum tuning you know but yeah so so then you come back full around it's full circle and i would you know i was learning all these different uh stickings and whatnot and different you know and you want to show oh see i'm not just a rock drummer i learned these different kinds of things on the drums i'm going to show them whenever i can and i go back and you know many many years later i'm like neil's whole intro of his solo on the snare was single single was single strokes with accents and just dynamics and great phrasing and you know compared to somebody let's say where, where he got it from like a, a buddy rich or something which is just complete insanity but what neil did with it, it um was was just so pleasing sounding you know and and it just sounds like complete technical fire you know so i, I sort of started going back like hey man nobody out there in the audience cares if I'm doing pataflaflas, <laughs> you know, it's just, but it sounds, you know, but if you're on a single, single strokes on a good sounding snare and you got dynamics and accents and it's exciting and that, you know, man, 
there you go. You know, so I started going kind of going back to that. Isn't that at its core is like you are providing entertainment and, uh, you know, the, the people that we put on these pedestals in the, within the drummer community doesn't always transcend to the larger audience. And that's what Neil and uh, to your point, a uh, rush did, you know, they, there's a lot of non-musicians and non-drummers that love this band and, and feel that, uh, you know, we can go down these rabbit holes of these other bands and then just kind of flex our knowledge about, well, do you know this record by this artist or this drummer, this random person, we could do that all day long, especially, now with the internet but um yeah there is something that they did and i and i would argue you know uh, you know going back to the, the the founding fathers of you know drummers in the 20th century early in the first half of the 20th century who resonated with the audience you know um some would you know there's the whole you know the, the buddy rich and gene krupa debate you know like who was technically better and who was more entertaining well, so, I, 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 yeah, Buddy, Buddy's intensity was just at a sheer, just speed and control was, I think, entertaining to anybody because just as a human, you're like, how are you <laughs> creating that speed and how is it so, like, you don't hear that many places. You're not going to really go many places and see a human being do that, uh, you know. Uh, so that that was, I think, visually stimulating as well as you know technically for a, a drummer but but yeah but gene krupa was all he was just cool and just had his his image and his look and and a great great drummer of course but um you know technically buddy was you know on this yeah. other level you know but but you know I, if i'm correct i think buddy loved gene and gene was first you know so he really i mean could he possibly be the first I know there's other drummers prior to him, but could he be like the first true like drum star? You know what I mean? Like the, the first person where the average person was like, you know, you got like, if you went back, you know, I'd probably go like Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich. Of course there's, you know, Louis Belson stuff, but like Gene, Buddy, and then you almost got to go to like Ringo Starr, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if 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 uh, if there wasn't so much you know segregation in our culture, especially in the early twentieth century, would there have been another drummer that you know would have risen to the top of of the collective consciousness of of popularity the way those guys did? And it's hard to say, but you know. So yeah, that that's an interesting question. Well, then then you get to another thing. Then you get to like well, songs. You know, Chuck Berry had amazing songs. Yeah. Little you know, little Richard, I, I know, man, he, as huge as, and iconic as he is, he had to go through, you know, a whole a whole battle of, of uh, you know, his songs getting covered by white singers and those singles doing better than his. You know? And you look yeah. back, you're like, how can you deny that voice and that personality, man? That is, that's just unheard of. You don't, that's something that barely comes around, you know, every however many decades you know what i mean it, but yeah yeah it's, it's all but it's, it's it's all 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 great stuff man I, uh it's uh yeah we could we could talk we could stick on neil peart for freaking four hours and talk or we could stick to, <laughs> to the, the, the history of drumming which i don't know that much about and I, I wish i did know more i just know the basics but you know it's all fun to talk about one last thing i want to say about neil though and you probably know this is his inspiration to pick up the sticks was the gene krupa story it was the it was a movie yeah that and that it, it was probably a big uh what do you call it 
a big point in time for a lot of drummers. Just the fact that it, you know it was it was made into a movie. You know, I'm sure that that catapulted his name way more than it was just just like well, just like the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles had amazing songs, but there you go: Beatles, Ed Sullivan, Ringo, Ludwig, done deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's put the name yeah. on the drum head. Let's yeah. That whole history is is fascinating. So you just finished a big tour, and we're catching you at kind of in between things. So this is great. You were out with the Dead Daisies, and um, could you tell us about that? Could you tell us about just maybe just the tour, where you guys went? Okay, the first thing I think about is something I don't don't feel like spending much time on a, on a in a drum interview talking about. But yeah, we went from like toward the end of August uh, through the middle of September, started on the east coast of the U.S., went up into Canada, went across Canada and back down the west coast, and ended up in. Uh, Final show was at the Roxy in in L.A. Like uh, yeah, what about a week ago? Yeah, two Sunday nights ago, and um, no, it was all great. It was, it's always fun playing with those guys. Like the, it's it's a really comfortable place, comfortable band to be in for for many reasons. But the standout thing, which we'll just leave at this, was oh my god, city to city on this continent, man. The the the. the the homeless and the tents and the is and the drugs is so prominent. It's so in your face, and we'll stay at nice hotels in the center of town. That doesn't matter. You can walk a half a block, and you're just like, look at this. And it's not singling one place out. It's it was like everywhere in a city, just cities in general. And it's, it was depressing, and it's you know so so that yeah that it literally a couple on a couple occasions had an effect like where you're just like man i'm kind of bummed out today well because when you leave the hotel this is what you see you just you see this lack of quality of life for you know a multitude of different reasons i guess but there i'm sure there's a couple you know main reasons but but man uh um <laughs> i'm i'm yeah, you know, for the people that are in, in government politics, man, I would just like this is the U.S., Canada, but Canada's awesome. Both of these countries are great, and this is what you see when you go into. Like, I'm thinking, like families that go, oh, let's go to let's go to Hollywood, let's do a vacation at Cal Southern California. We'll go to Hollywood and we'll do this and that. Uh, outside of San Diego, San Diego always seems to be. Uh, no, no, no. Oh no, I. I go to San Diego two or three times a year, and uh, so I have to say, my my wife works for the nonprofit world, and she's worked with uh, homelessness for a long, long time. And um, and every time I go out to San Diego, we drive by an area that is just uh, I'm like, honey, you could come out here and work forever. Uh, and you know, she's in Nashville trying. Right. So no, right. I you know, it's it's I get I get you know, this is not what we talk about in a drumming podcast, but I I can tell you. And we'll get into this. The Nashville Drummers Jam, which was inspired by Bonzo Bash, did a tribute to Alex Van Halen one year. Oh, this is the Nashville show where you guys got um, his text yep. and yep. his kit and stuff. Yeah, that, that was that was awesome. That was uh, what a what a great honor to have the, to have that happen for you know do a, a celebration event and actually have the the man's kit there. Were you on the most recent Dead Daisies record? The one that just came out. Yeah, I'm on some of it. It's it's a best of. So there's like I don't know how many tracks, uh, okay. 12, 13, 15. but um, it spans from the first record to the last one, which I had also done, which was called Radiance with uh, Glenn Hughes singing and playing bass and Doug Aldrich on guitar and the founder David Lowy and and myself. That was 
last year. Yeah, we did that spring of 22. So yeah, they just took a couple songs from all the records, made a best yeah. of because it's been 10 years uh, since this band started. Um, yeah, so we just went out and played, uh, you know, a, the set was based around playing songs from the, you know, for, for throughout the 10 year history. So so yeah, I'm on I'm on a bunch of that. I don't know. I don't remember how many, but it's probably gotcha. like half gotcha. of it or something. I'm really curious to know the, a lot of the sessions that I'll do. It's it's you walk in. Oh, guys, here's the song or the songwriter might be there. He'll play it down or they may hand you a chart, uh, even a, even a number chart or something like that. Just a, a loose outline. And you go and there's more and more uh, work tapes being, you know, flown around and stuff like that. But just do you expect changes? And I'm just kind of curious if you could kind of peel back some of this, the layers of, of how you guys went about recording some of this stuff or kind of what a typical session is for, in your experience, compared to one of the, uh, sorry to go on and on about this, but I, it, Nashville has a culture of just like speed, not always quality. And, and so everyone adopts that no matter what level you are. And, um, it doesn't always serve the music well. And I worked with a producer who just moved from LA about five years ago. And he goes, yeah, I was used to taking a little bit more time or maybe some pre-production. So could you talk a little bit about that? And it could involve this record, maybe another record that you've done. I don't have that much experience with sessions where you walk mm -hmm. in and they throw you a chart. Um, I'm sure I have done stuff like that in the past, but, um, you know, I immediately go, I immediately think back to like the sixties and the whole wrecking crew thing where, you know, they were just going mental with crazy amounts of sessions and these are amazing players. Um, but it would be, you know, getting the job done and, you know, amazing songs came out, amazing recordings, um, and versions of songs that, you know, somebody may have written and didn't have the, the full picture. They, they had the song, but you know, when you put these players together, it's going to sound a certain way, but, uh, that's um that, that's cool you know for for what it is i guess but mostly what i've done is is you do get a little time to prepare you know and and uh um and i go i'll go like either way you want me to play exactly what your drum machine is that's fine you want me to tune a certain way i'll go for that you want me to or they'll go do something that you would do what do you hear or you're usually kind of and kind of end up working in the middle. Okay, you have a drum machine that's somebody had to put that beat in there. You know, did you do a closed hi hat because you meant it, or did you really want an open hi hat? I mean, there's some of that you have to consider versus well, what what's going on in the song? What what's what sounds what seems to be the most appropriate? You guys are kind of uh, you're an ACDC band, or you're a this style band, or you're a that style. Well, it's probably more appropriate to go down this road with uh the drum takes but um but i i dig it all i mean you just you just that's that's the part of you know just i think getting that stuff done is is just from spending so much so much time as a kid not realizing that i that i wasn't just playing drums or practicing what i thought i was practicing which was let's say i love acdc i i'm talking as a kid like fifth fourth grade fifth grade sixth grade, little kid just going i love playing drums play to an ACDC record, I would have different ways of practicing to these records. And one would be to play the drums as closely as I could to the record. So you pretend you're yeah. literally in the band 
And you're like, if I had to fill in, you know, could I, could I cut the gig? Could I do it where the band's happy? Like I used to put myself in that position, you know, let's see if I can do this. And, um, the other one was, let's see if I can overplay as mentally as I think as my ability allows me and, and make it all work. You know, like, can I come out of every feel good and all this? So I, I would test myself in different ways and it was all just fun, not realizing that that's really going to help down the, down the road or trying to, uh, play, us play the drums to sound almost sound to to attack the drums um similar to what i'm hearing on the records from my favorite drummers whether it's um you know whether it's a bonham or an alice van halen or a neil peart or a peter chris or a you know or just go down the list of whatever um i would obviously like if i was playing a police song okay i'm definitely gonna tighten those hats up you know everything's gonna be a little more popcorn tight you know but if i'm going to play to alice van halen i'm going to loosen those hats up you know if i'm playing to an eagle song or a fleetwood mac i'm going to kind of approach it you know uh, just because i it was fun it wasn't like it wasn't a test it was more just that's that makes sense if i'm listening to van halen i don't want to play the drums like Stuart copeland so i just think that helped as far as getting into sessions and tuning drums and and being able to jump into a songwriter or a band band's you know, mind state where, you know, what I think they might want. And the goal is to, yeah, get the job done and not, not spend a lot of time because in any session there could be, whether it's a, a microphone problem or a drum head thing, or, or there could be a preamp goes out, whatever it is in the studio, that's going to eat up time. So you don't want to be the guy eating time. You want to be the guy saving sure. time for everybody there, you know, and you want to, if somebody's not sure of something, you want to be able to go just throw a couple of, Hey, I could do this. Or would you prefer this? And as soon as you give somebody a couple, a couple of options, they usually like the producer or the artist or whatever will, uh, Oh wait, that's, I like that. You know, and I've, I've been in so many situations and, or yeah, I've been there where that, you know, just this last uh, Daisy's record, I'll do something. And Glenn Hughes be like, yeah, that so whatever whatever it is yeah that's cool and it's based on i'm learning off of a demo that he and doug had written and the producer um is in the control room and he might ah, i think you should simplify it a little bit and glenn be like ah but that's really cool and then those two gotta kind of have to work it out and i just wait i i you know you also have to know when to how much is too much chiming in <laughs> you know yes, yeah. how much do you you, you know so, you, so you, you know, you don't want to just walk in and go, hey, guys, I think it should be like this. And you, unless somebody says, what do you think? You know, and you also don't want to have no ideas. And if you could tell that something, you know what I mean? you got to feel every session out, feel the room out and, and the vibe out. And, and, and the more you do it, the more you get those experiences, the, the, hopefully the quicker you are to, to make that session happen. You know, get, ultimately get, get, a good, get a good drum track down, you know, and... Um, as we all know, especially in this day and age, it's barely a band playing together for a solid take. This isn't like Van Halen one where we've all been touring, or not touring, playing together for five years in the clubs and parties around town. And we've, you know, we've been playing for years together. We turn on, hit record, and we're going to give you a kick-ass take. This is, it's different now. It's you probably 90 something percent different than that uh, in most recording situations. And now with you know pro tools and 
digital recording, there's so many endless options of getting, you know, that goes down a whole other road. It's like the drummer can do five takes and you can just within five minutes cut this totally different drum tape together and then fix things here and there and move this and that. And it's like, wow, he didn't even really almost play anything <laughs> like that, you know, which, which I, I, I'm not into. I don't mind the whole editing thing is like cu cutting tape was so tedious back in the day. I used to, I couldn't believe it when I'd see people doing that one wrong cut. Like you gotta be a master, even punching in, you know, on a guitar solo or something or a vocal, like you gotta, you gotta get that right spot or else you could, you know, cut stuff. So yeah, you just, you just, uh, but, but basically I, you just, you just want to go in there and, and be, be positive and be smart and pay attention to what's going on in the room. Pay attention to who's maybe running the show, pay, you know, and that's all like people stuff. That's just like, you know, experience behind the drums, experience tuning drums and, you know, and retaining parts because everything can change in the studio too. You know, you might get a demo and they say this and that you go in there and they go, oh, I was thinking we should try it like this. Okay. You might be prepared to do it a certain way. Well, you better, you better also be prepared to not do it the way you think you're prepared, yeah. you know? Um, and, and the whole thing, and, and the more you do that, the more everybody sees, oh man, he's following us. He's getting it. Or he's jumping board, jumping on board to where we're going, which wasn't where we started, you know? And, and uh, th that's, uh, it's all stuff that, you know, can happen in any session, anywhere, anytime it can all change. And, uh, yeah. I mean, and, but I, I, I like it. And I like it. And I also, you know, then the whole drum tuning thing, like I just did a session. I did a bunch of songs here with uh, last month because I'm, I'm in my house and I have a Pro Tools and I have studio drums set up all the time, mic'd up in my living room. Everything's like ready to roll all the time. And I had uh, my buddy Dean DeLeo. Dean plays with uh, Stone, guitar and Stone Temple Pilots and, and we've been friends for a long time. And he and his engineer came up. And we knocked. I don't did a lot of songs, a few fourteen songs or something. He's coming coming back tomorrow actually for one more track. But we took like Bonham kit, you know. So it's superphonic twenty six, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen. Detuned everything, toweled it up, detuned the snare. No no rim shots. Stuffed some extra towels in the in the kick, and uh, kick had a hole has a hole in it. And uh, Dean picked out symbols he liked, and we recorded most of the tracks were hitting in a in a in a good open live sounding room but the goal was to get a dead tight drum sound like like old okay, pink yeah, floydish let's say or something um like let, let's just go bob ezrin uh the wall era like that kind of in close mic dead and uh dean and everything dean wanted he wanted really like familiar sounding fills like that light ride symbols, a lot of space and air. And he, the, he and his um, engineer had uh, all the demos. They, they were well thought out drum program demos. And, and so he almost like remembered every little fill on all the demos. I didn't know that at the time, but I charted everything out like the night before. I was like, okay, it's, it's all fairly simple stuff. So let me just get most of it down. And he, he liked that, like, cause he was really, going he so he his big picture was was in his head it, it wasn't like oh brian just go for stuff and see what happens it was like every now and then he'd be like oh yeah try that or this but we stuck to the program pretty much and it was great because if you look at the drums and you look at the room you'd be like there's no way and then if you hear the sound of what we got you mm -hmm. know when you put the, just put the close mics up sound nothing like you don't you don't see you know you walk in a room you see a bottom 
kit with mics everywhere in a, a big room with you know with uh, tile floors you know and all this and you hear that drum set but it's like but that's because we tuned it appropriately and i played it appropriately yeah no and first that was the first session i ever done i had i have ever done where i didn't hit any rim shots like none like like that would and the beater boom like there's no laying into the head everything's like if i laid into the head it would just create too much intensity it was too <clears throat> so i had to boom you know like the whole time but boom bah, boom boom and it was and it was a whole different world, but it was it was a lot of fun because not only are they hiring you to play and perform, use your skills as a drummer, but also use your ears as a drummer to be able to achieve the sound that maybe they have in their head and they kind of have some some ideas. But really, you are the expert in the room. So not only are you being you being hired with your ears too. It, yeah, and and I should be able to do that because I'm such a fan of it, and I've done my you know working with Pro Tools and stuff since. Well, 20 years now. And, um, and I, I love, uh, you know, the engineering side of it, you know, turn the mics on, put everything up, hit a certain way, tune a certain way and see what happens that day, you know? Um, cause it's always different. You know, there's, you're like, well, this today, this the snare's popping a little more. Why? I, I don't know, but it's a different day. And that's, that's why things are what they are, you know, and nothing's, nothing's ever exactly the same, you know? Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I think um, I, I, I dig. Man, I, I mean, I have so yeah, so many great experiences um, in the recording studio. We talk a lot about you know reading the room when you walk in there. You know, walk into a session and figure out like, do you, do people just want you to be there so they can tell you what to play, or do they want you to come in and play drums and come up with your part? And, and them not have to worry about it. And you got to figure that out real quick. So you're not being a pain in the butt saying, hey, how about this or that? How about this or that? Like, dude, just make a decision. Or you just sit tight. We're going to figure out what needs to be done and we'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> so I, 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 always, I always default to shut up first. Let the drum speak first. Listen to what people want. If somebody's going to say something, you're being, they're hiring you, right? So there's already it's already established they're gonna they're the ones leading the show. Well, whether it's the songwriter, the the band, the producer, somebody's gonna tell you what's up. It, it would be very odd if you went in there and they're paying you to record drums in a studio and you're and nobody knows what to tell you. That's uh, but there's actually been situations where I thought what I just said was the way, and it ends up the artist who through his producer, the producer calls me and says, yeah, you know, we got four songs at the studio. You know, here's the, here are the demos and the demos are all you know, like erratic and, you know, like, yeah, we need your expertise. We need you to come in and help us. And I'm like, I'm hearing these drum beat. Okay. That, okay. I can stick to that. That goes to that. But this, Oh, what? there's a weird edit here. What happened there? It's actually off by an eighth note for a half a bar. What's going on? You know, and you go in and then you realize actually, this guy is—he's—he's he's trusting me. That the artist who wrote the songs—he's—he has a vision, but it's not totally seen through. Like I don't have to stick to everything he made up just because he put some fast double bass there. It's not—he he didn't actually put it there just because he's—he's he's, uh, married to it. He's—it's just that he just ended up messing around with the drum machine, and that's what it ended up being. So you, when you learn that, you go, oh wait, what if you know? And then it's like this particular situation was like, I tried to be sensible. I tried to play stuff that fit for, it was like a more hard, really heavier driving 
modern rock kind of thing and uh, melodic on top but really heavy like grungy-ish speed stuff on the bottom and um it's like well what works with this what works with this is simple power and but he also likes start asking what do you hear when we go into the bridge you know it's similar but it's different to the rest of the song do you, do you want something tribal or do you want me to keep backbeat on the snare like you know and i mim- i just mouse it you know what do you, do you want like a oh yeah 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 Okay, like, you know, do that. It's like, oh yeah, but then go back. You know what I mean? It's, you just sometimes you 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 can f- feel the vibe is going to work better if you do throw a couple things out. You know, because now you're getting uh, comfortable in the situation. You know, and I, w- so, I would yeah. argue there's there's time <clears throat> there's times with where people have a budget or they're just like they're hiring you to experience something like that may be their only record. They're not trying to be an artist, a full time artist, but they 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 want this professional experience in the studio and so they just want to see what you have i also have worked with people that have sent me stuff to record here at home and i can tell they just put a drum machine on to keep time and they played a lot but it it wasn't even close to the the groove you know necessarily that they wanted or the kick pattern and it took me a minute to figure out oh wait this they're just using it just to something to play along with and but I have to, yeah. to figure that, you know I have to communicate with them and of course when you're doing remote tracking that takes a little bit more time than if you're all in the same room obviously but I've got I've done so much remote tracking luckily ninety something percent a high ninety percent has been successful because if it's not and you're trying to communicate what may or may not be right and it you know because with those that that stuff. I go with give me as much information as you can before I start tracking. Like, oh god, yeah, you know, you, you know it's not going to be because in the room you can make decisions in seconds. You know, try this, try that. But if I'm sitting there remotely and I'm tracking and I'm putting together a drum track and I send it to you, like, oh, I don't know about the bell and the ride symbol in the chorus. I think it should be more crash. You know, ride on the crash. Okay. You didn't, it would be nice if you told me that, if you heard that, you know, but that's a, a rarity. I'll usually, and then also then, yeah, in those situations you'll get these, man, I've gotten drum machine programs where it's so scattered, where it's almost just, there's, yes, it's in, it's at the same BPM top to bottom, but parts are coming out of nowhere. Like that have nothing, like drums will stop for four bars, like <laughs> and then jump back in with some other beat. And, and luckily the, that particular artist, he knows he's like dude i don't know what's going on with the drum machine just and i know it's metal and i know it's got to be tight and follow you know it's there's sensible things to do and we've done a bunch and he's always happy with it that's cool but i've done stuff where this like the the guitar player sends me program drums but they're really intricate and they're really busy and there's lots of good it's like Dennis Chambers meets Bozio like on acid and you're like, <laughs> you're like, but he's playing prog metal. So it's like, you know, we're, it, this, this doesn't not work, you know, but it, these patterns aren't really going with these riffs, you know, it's not. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do what's, what makes sense here, you know? And I kind of try to fit into the vibe that I think he, and he, and, and, and he says, Oh no, I just, I just, I don't really know what I'm doing program wise. I just like, you know, busy drums. Okay. So yeah, this is busy, but it's really not helping the song. It's not helping the verse get to the chorus. It's not helping the big riff in this section, you know, whatever. So uh, yeah, I've, ch- I've changed it. And then he hears it back 
where there's drum parts that are maybe a little more locked up to what he wrote. He's like, oh yeah, cool, great. So usually that's just, like I said, you just try to be somewhat smart about, you know, you communicate, you know, communicate with the artist and be, be smart about stuff. You know, if I was going to try and learn that guy's drum parts that he programmed, that would have been crazy. It wouldn't have, the song wouldn't Make have sounded great. Yeah, yeah. And they don't always know. You stay busy with multiple groups. You just played with Don Felder not too long ago. Was that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just this weekend. I, the, the Dead Daisies thing, that tour ended last Sunday. And I had a few days home and went back down to LAX and flew with Don and the band to uh, Cincinnati, played a casino Saturday night, flew home Sunday. And so, yeah, uh, um, those, fly, those fly days, you know, early morning, double flight connecting flights to the you know the day before the show to ensure that everybody gets there in time because flights are just constant it's just nothing but yeah it was just dealing with the potential delays and problems and hassles and cancellations is just it's always there now it's just more more that more so than ever so you got to get there the day before and um you're burnt out from the travel and the lack of sleep from that you know from leaving my house early in the morning play the show and uh yeah then you I don't know, man. After a couple of flights, airports, and getting home, and all that, you're just, your your mind's usually a bit frazzled, you know, on a travel day. So, got home really? last night. Yeah, yeah. But well, um, man, thank you for doing this. I, I I I had a chance to play in Toronto. We literally avoided the flights and just got a Sprinter van and and drove up and did it and drove back. I mean, it was nine hours. It was eight or nine hours up there. And we all got to hang in a nice Sprinter van and eat where we wanted to eat and stuff like that. Where like everybody was like, "This is great!" Like I don't, yeah, to take all uh, that I, time I, just to fly, anyways. Yeah, I, I, I like. It. Yeah, there's been a couple options where if we have a gig in Vegas, say, and it's like if the routing works out, I'm like, man, I'll just get my car and drive to Vegas. I'm on my own schedule. Yeah. I don't have to deal with airports. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like when you're when you're able to do that. Yeah, we've had over this. Yeah, I've been playing with Don like on and off since last summer. So like like last August, it's been over a year now. I hadn't played with him in five years. I played did a bunch of shows with him in like 2016, 17, and then when they call me, Don has a his bands are great. You know, he has you know backup players for all positions because everybody's in other bands as well, but um he's usually does weekend stuff and every now and then he'll put together runs, you know? And, uh, yeah. I, so when they call me over the years, I wasn't available. Oh no, I, I can't do this or that. You know, it'd be like a one-off kind of thing. But last year it worked out. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm home. And we did a bunch of stuff last, you know, August through the rest of the year. And then this year quite a bit, you know, there was like almost every month I did something with them. And in August it worked out between the dead daisies, July rehearsals, we had like a week of rehearsals in New York, and then we had, I don't know, a week or so off. No, we had about a month off. So I did like a Don gig before the rehearsals, went, did the New York rehearsals, left rehearsals down to Orlando, did another week at Don, had three days at home to get up, like six sessions came in, bam, like, all right, and I had all this other stuff to do. Then I left back out with Don on the East Coast, and then we did a proper like three week run, which was a lot of fun. We, you know, because it's, I, I love, I love when you can do a proper run in the States. It's just in the summer in the States, you know, just get on a tour bus and go play. It's it, without, you know, having to leave the country and all that stuff. It's, it's always, it's always fun. And, and, you know, his band's great. So we all, we all did that. And literally from our final show, it was like August 20th or something. 
flew that next morning up to Philly and started the Dead Daisies tour till last week. You know, so so it was a good where I thought, you know, in May or something, May or yeah, May or June, I was like, all right, I have these dead this dead daisy stuff. And then Don's tour manager was like, Hey Brian, we have all this stuff. What can you do? And I was like, I could do most of that. Like I could do that run, I could do that one there, this one there. And um and before you know it, you're pretty swamped for the summer, which is good because uh I love playing with Don. He's he's amazing. The set list is is amazing and it's a total different style than anything I've done. Yeah, it's rock drums, but the approach to Don's set, which is ma- mainly the Eagles hits, right? It, with you know um with a few other things, a cover and a new original of Don's and his song uh heavy metal from the soundtrack back in the eighties, you know, there's so but it's peppered with his own stuff, but mostly Eagles. And that's a whole different approach. And I like playing with Don, not, not only he's an awesome guitar player who I grew up on and uh, all that stuff. And he's a part of one of the biggest bands ever with these amazing songs. That's, that's all great. And he's still just spot on. He's just so, I mean, Don plays how he plays and he's at 76. He looks better than just about anybody I know in their seventies. And he's got the energy and, it's really easy to forget his age because he does, there's nothing about him that says 76 at all. I'd say 56, like that 20, that's, it's that, that's, it, I, it's every, every day I'm around him, I'm just like, wow, you know, he's, he's traveling, he's booking, he, he just loves playing. He just loves playing music. Yeah, keeps him young. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like the, I don't know if Don has to, you know, worry about you know working he just loves playing <laughs> music and yeah. um and and just knowing a he doesn't have to and his age it you not to keep bringing that up because whatever but at the same time we all the average you know male life expectancy is this so yeah there is something to consider there man so i i, I expect to see don 10 years from now doing the same thing like because that's how healthy he is and that's how fit he is and that's how his mind is there completely it's amazing if if i had to say there's somebody i want to that's that's who i look up to for 20 years from now uh, like that's the guy i want to be that's just still there for the love of music and and carries himself just like like he did 20 years ago you know like it, it's just a number to you know it's just time is moving on and his age is his age but his mind is this is what i do but but anyways the gig is cool because i think for for, for uh for what i've done you know career-wise as a drummer it's mostly oh yeah you're you're a hard-hitting hard rock bashing drummer fine whatever there's an art to that too you know but um there's a whole other side of me that's not that and that's why you know getting in this, you know, getting in the studio is a whole different world. You don't, you know, if that's required, cool. But man, if it's not, and you're a hard rock bashing drummer, that's what you got. You're not going to be able to hang in the studio under the microscopes of the microphones, you know, in a different way. And Don's stuff, you know, the, 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 it's, it may be simple, but it's, you got to be sympathetic to these songs. And, and I'm not there to swing, swing my arms around and spin sticks and get all sweaty. I'm there to just keep, keep that groove solid and be consistent as anything and, and, uh, make it feel good. And are you using a click on live doing live? Yeah. 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 With, with Don and, uh, yes. Like most bands, like nowadays, most bands, dead daisies, nothing. 
that, that is, is zero, zero click, zero reference click. I don't know if that's a proper term, but I say, uh, well, reference click can be one of two things. But when I say it, I mean, what I used to do with Foreigner, which I remember I stole from Jason Bonham. And I was like, well, yeah, that makes great sense. They Foreigner, when I first joined them in 1998, it was a click, but I had this on off button where I could shut it off whenever I felt like it. So the click gave you the tempo and let's say they go just shut off in the verse. So I kick into a tune, shut the click off. And then I challenge myself throughout the song. I turn it back on, see how close I am. So it was just, you know, click in my ear. I don't think anybody else heard it. It was just for me. And then, then Foreigner got two years later with what Jason was doing with them. He had the, the Tama rhythm watch thing. And so he pre pre-programmed. Yeah. The, the BPMs for the set. Bam. So he just hit it on and you got the, the green red light on the rhythm watch. So he's not getting a click fed to him like an audible click. He's just getting a visual click. And so it's just a reference. So this is pretty much where you should be. We're not, we don't need to stick to it. We're not on a click at all. And so when I rejoined foreign, I was like, yeah, man, I'm in, I'll do that. That's cool. So I would, I mean, I had to set that rhythm watch up where it was solid because I would, you, you could bug out on it. Let's say you get off a little bit and you're not, you're flaming. Could it, you, st you start fixating on this click too much while you're playing live. Now you're not really playing live. Now you're, but you got to have this art of be able to get over there and nail, turn it on and off right on a quarter. No, okay, okay, off. Yeah. On, you know, get back on. Because <laughs> it would bug me out if I wasn't. I could stay, they're also like you can turn it off if you want, but I pretty much leave it on. And it was fun. You know, while you're on tour, you're like, Oh yeah, I'm not even really looking at this thing, and I'm I'm pretty much on the money because you know done it so much, you know, and it just all gets ingrained in your head. Um, so that was a lot of fun with Foreigner. That was the one and only time I I had done that rhythm watch thing. I think like you know without a click in your in ears, yeah. and uh, but the Dead Daisies is completely. That's just like that's old school. It's five guys on stage and drummer counts off time, band locks in, and hopefully yeah. it's. Yeah. And, and which outside of having in-ears, we're, we're one step away from having monitors on stage with no click. And, and, you know, so that which means all the backgrounds are live. That means there's nothing on tape, none of that. And it's a rarity these days where that was the norm, you know. That, well, the reason I ask is, is that with technology, especially with in-ears, that change things and allows for clicks to be used and kind of how people are doing it, especially like in the rock arena. Because that tends to have its foot in the old school way of doing things where pop and especially country, there's clicks and everything on a grid, even live is just more the norm. But like, how do you, you know, I, I like to figure out how people do it and their different ways and methods of doing it, accomplishing the same thing. Good time, feel good, feel, you know. Yeah, getting better in any way or trying to get better is great. And then there's rock and roll. And it's like that, like you said, feel. Do you have, how's your groove? How's your feel? How's your tuning? How do you, how do you hit? You know, everybody's different and it makes every, and everybody has their own personality behind drums and, and hopefully what you do works with the band. And yeah, I think we can overthink it too much because as soon as we start talking like this, I go back to the biggest bands in the 70s that nobody is going to be as big as um, outside of literally you have to be Metallica, Guns N' Roses big now to even compete with the Stones and the Who and Queen and Zeppelin and Kiss and 
freaking Fleetwood Mac. Like you go watch those bands live and they sounded amazing and there's no clicks. There's nobody on tape. There's none of this shit we're talking about. It's literally what I thought musicians were. It was, you know, literally, you know, we get in a room and play and our personalities come out and the guy that keeps it together the most is the drummer. He's keeping everybody clapping their hands, having a good time. He's making sure we're all in time. And now I just got to lock into him and do a good job on my guitar or my vocals or my bass or, and that was, I don't know. That's what, that's what, that's when the, the, you know, the real men stood out to me, man, like listen to queen live. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Nobody else can sound. Listen to the who. Listen to what Keith's doing and how they're all keeping it together with that whistle with talent like this. And it's the who and nobody else has ever even sound like the who. And I don't want them to be on a click unless they're playing the freaking Babo O'Reilly or won't get fooled again. You know what I mean? Or Eminence Front or something like that, you know. Um, but but anyways, it's but it's all fine. Like I see it all. I know the country world. I don't know anything about it. But what I've learned a little bit of is, it, it, yeah, it's insane. Everything's clicked. Everything's super thought out like pop it's like the equivalent of pop it's country pop pop country yeah, whatever it really is but i think it's still there it's still there like i would just because i said metallica and they're huge and they're in stadiums i would go with they're not on clicks right i would think like lars is playing completely freely right i think i don't think anything's on i think they're they're old school i don't think they've changed their ways where a lot of older rock bands have probably gotten more modernize as far as what they do live you know? right i mean i mean and we started out talking about rush i mean gosh those guys had things that they had some songs where there were sequences running and others that weren't you know so i mean i think it, it was all over the map but the reason i bring it up in and i feel like you 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 kind of like you're straddling both being like a quote-unquote working drummer working with a variety of different artists that you you have to be able to adapt you have to be able to play a gig with a click without a click um, you know, do all these different things and and wear many different hats stylistically. But I feel like you are also, when you're playing with some of these bands, like people see you as a member of the band. They see you as a member of Dead Daisy. They see you, you know, as a member of Whitesnake when they see you or, you know, whatever. they That is kind of the perception uh, as opposed to the quote unquote hired gun, even though on paper, you kind of have a bit of a resume and a schedule as you were just alluding to with jumping off one tour bus and flying to another gig with somebody else on paper you have this hired gun kind of life it's it's a little bit of both i mean but you're but you're just not jumping from this band to that band to this session. You're playing with like these really fucking huge artists in a in a in a in a kind of a a, a member status. Does that make sense? That's hard for me to unpack this. Well, no, even even back in in back in the day, the mid '90s, when when I played with Zach Wilde, when Zach left Ozzy, started a band called Pride and Glory, and love that record. Love oh, that. Record. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The, as time has gone on, I've it's nice to you know every now and then hear that people really dug it when it came because it, it, it didn't go it wasn't this big huge you know multi-platinum blah 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 with singles everywhere and it, but it was a solid unique record i mean i i think what zach did was amazing for his his focus on where he was at at the time was was it was he, he nailed what he was going for and i and he myself and james lemenzo with him that the the whole vibe was a band it really was it was really us in a room 
playing as we play. And I feel like that band sounds like you tonally. I mean, I know it was a long time ago, but like I hear uh, bottom tunings in your sounds, in your snare and your toms, especially. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, because no, because nobody was telling me what to do, and and we <laughs> we were. I, I got a. I got. I signed up with DW back then, and they sent me a kit that just arrived. I didn't touch it until. We walked in the studio in Seattle, so I guess I had a rental kit for the weeks prior at rehearsals, and and um, got up there and just set them up, started playing. But we were in a big room, and it, and I ordered a twenty six. It was twenty six by sixteen, and uh, the yeah, yeah, I went for that whole thing: big room, big drums, getting a new drum kit. Let's 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 go for it, you know. And that was another band, no clicks. That whole re- that was live. Those were live rhythm tracks, like. Love that. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, the snare for the majority of the record, there, there were, there was like a rented Ludwig kit we put in a smaller room for some of the songs, and it's pretty obvious you can hear. Oh, that's definitely not the big drums in that room. Um, I don't know what I think we just did it because the vibe was like, let's go for something smaller, you know. So we went to the store, rented this old Ludwig kit, and I think I used the, I had a my a Acrylate with me. There's a five by four, five and a half by fourteen. And I had a five by fourteen wood Ludwig. That was my first snare that I had since I was a kid. I had a Ludwig kit when I got in fourth grade and uh, sold the kit in ninth grade, but kept the wood snare. And years later, when I fixed it back up, I was like, "Wow, this thing has this is there's a thing in this drum." Um, and I used that a lot. And I would always use that tour with it. It was I really it just had a, a sound that stood out. It had the Van, Van Halen bottom bonk inside. It had that throat, you know that 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 um. Wait, am I doing it right? You know, when you flick your finger against oh, your yeah. against your neck, it had that thing in there which I loved. And um, and anyhow, yeah, that 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 uh, Zach, we were playing. I wanted to show I could play, like, and but it was meat and potatoes, kind of heavy southern southern heavy rock, whatever. And but Zach loved to jam, so I'm like, well, when I jam, I'm man, I'm going to throw some shit in, you know? And <clears throat> it, it, as did James Lomenzo on bass. He was, like, he was like, I had no idea James could play like that. James was from White Lion. I didn't know James. We got in the room together. I'm like, okay. I remember saying to myself, how's James Lomenzo, who I don't know, how's he going to hang with Zach? Zach's badass. Like he's a big force on guitar. Like the whole thing is big. And we had played before. So I kind of like, okay, Zach and I had done some jamming together. James came in and I was like, um, I've never played with somebody. This is so int whistle and it's his tone was so gnarly. And we never talked about what James did on bass and what I did on my kick drum. There was none of it. We just played like, and it was like, it made sense. Here's the riff. Here's the parts you break down here. You jam out to the, you go to that and blah, blah, blah. And James it's just we played and that's what it was it we, and the producer rick parishar came in he listened to us i was like oh he's the producer now he's we've been jamming for weeks now he's gonna come in and probably start telling me what to do and he was like cool cool after every song all right cool cool <laughs> we went up to his <laughs> studio started taking the takes and i was like rick i i, just, I don't want to muffle i don't want to muffle this kick man listen to this drum in this room you're I'm like boom and all he'd do is tell me every day or so, tighten up the kick more. I need more punch out of it. Like, it was crazy. We're tightening up the drum as we were recording. So I guess the heads were stretching out because yeah. I didn't stretch it. I just remember putting the drums up and tuning them and going, all right, let's go. And the only drum I knew about was the leady. The other ones were brand new with factory heads on them. Okay. And uh, we did put 
some type of towel underneath the between the kick drum and the snare drum to separate the bottoms he had what was he separating i think he had a mic drum on the beater and a mic on the beater and on the front of the kick oh, so you get the attack so that and i've done that before when you mic up a beater you're going to get all this unwanted tone from the bottom of the snare so mm-hmm. we duct taped a towel between the kick drum beater and the bottom snare yeah so they were told, which was which was a great move so i just remember him tightening i'm like tighten it up i remember the kick drum was getting so tight i couldn't help the flubbing you know so every time i'd hit the kick if i'd lay into it playing hard it would be like yeah. you know but it was it was a lot of fun we got uh you know listen, listening back now yeah there was times where i play simple like okay this is let's let the air you know let's let the drums breathe in the room because this sounds big this reminds me of physical graffiti and then there'd be times like yeah i'm just gonna go you know go for it and have fun because uh that's the type of band it was so it's a great record. I pride and glory. I, I recommend people checking it out. But look, look, be, be, before we run out of time, I do want to ask you: like, when you look on, when you look at your calendar, you know, just for the sake of this conversation, are you like, this is what I've been working for. This is this is what I want to do. I want to play with this group and this group. I want to, you know, throughout the year. No. No, no, no. I wanted to be in my own. I only know one way. The goal was to be in your Kiss, your Maiden, your Rush, your Zeppelin, your Van Halen. That I'm saying when I was a kid, that was it. You start a band, you write songs, and you get and you and you have millions of fans selling millions of records. That's that's the that's the pinnacle to me. That this higher gun stuff was this thirty years now plus the higher gun stuff was like cool. Like this is this is a good opportunity. This is fun. Like, I'm not complaining about anything like, but it was, yeah, man, this, this is a battle in my head since my twenties into my, well into my thirties was I'm going to take this gig. I'm going to play with this band because it's cool. It's fun. It's good. It's experience. There's like, it's all good things, but I'm going to get my band. So I technically consider myself you know, and I'm not even getting down on myself. I look at it differently. I'm too old to look at it like this now. But I, if you had to ask me what I honestly think, I failed in that department. And it, oh, don't, don't call yourself a failure. I'm, I don't mean it like that. I mean, like, it's not easy to get to that. It's not easy to have to start a band and write your own songs and they become successful and you have a hit single, which I'm saying hit single on whatever level. It doesn't have to be a pop single, a hit, you know, just something that bam, call a. I mean, Soundgarden had hit singles before Black Hole Sun. They were they had hit singles on MTV and the radio, and you know what I mean. And they weren't what you'd consider a hit single, did you know? But they were, you know. I'm saying, uh, you know, that that was the goal, and and uh, to be your own, to be looked at as the way I look at Alex Van Halen, Neil Peart, John Bonham, Keith Moon. That's that's the pinnacle. So you don't have to try to impress everybody doing shit that's not in your you know not your forte like maybe playing you know, latin fusion isn't your thing who cares or p- playing a pop gig like alex van halen plays how he plays angus young plays how he plays i only want to hear them do that i don't care to hear alex uh to hear angus play and steely dan and try and fit into a certain th- I-, I don't care i want angus to beat that he's that's a you don't get many angus youngs on this planet ever you know so let him be that it's just like I, that's why I say, I don't, if somebody has, if somebody's a little quirky or eccentric or this or that, or if they're, 
if they're producing an immense amount of talent that barely any human being has in this planet, a la, let's say, a Steven Tyler, that is, that's a freak. That's a guy that just can't help what he is. It comes out. It's, and it's not just a singer. It's this multi-talented person on so many levels. Plus, he's, he gets on stage and he is a rock god. The whole damn picture is so high level. And he's still doing it. It's just stupid high level. And I've had the good fortune to work with him a few times. As a, and I can't, I just, I played with Eddie Van Halen for a couple of days in his backyard. And these are my super idols. Uh, and I can't, I can't hang with them. It's too much. It's like, you, you guys, you guys were the posters on my, on my walls. And now I'm experiencing this thing that is not normal. You're just on another, it's just another level in so many ways. And I love it because I'm like, I, I know I can, I know I can hang with you as a drummer. Like I'm, I'm, I can get the job done, but, but I want, I want more of what you have. And, and, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, so it's, so anyways, to find a Steven Tyler and a Joe Perry and put them together and then they write these songs and you know, the rest guys in the band and they become Aerosmith. That's not, it's, it's so like, you know, one in a million, you know? So, so I'm not sitting here going, Oh, I'm a failure because I'm saying I tried and I've done this and that, but, but, uh, and I'm still going to try, I'm still trying, but, but I wasn't like someday I hope to play with, you know, guys I grew up on that. That's cool. Like it's, when is that not cool? Like, you know, well, there's guys. When you meet somebody, say you're on a plane, you're on a flight, and you're sitting next to someone, and you know they just strike up a conversation. They say, "Oh, what do you do?" And you know, well, I, I'm a musician. I, you know, I play drums. And then, then the, you know, the, the next question is, "Oh, what band are you in?" Everybody asks that because and, that's, and that's when it's that's when it's nice to be able to drop names, <laughs> you know, because it's instant cred with you know with most people. It whoa, you played with Foreigner, you played with you know White Snake or Billy Idol, yeah, 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 you know. So they can, you know, whereas if I played with my own, let's say, you know, prog, let's say I had a successful prog band, that was my thing, and it, but it wasn't on the radio, but I'm doing business, I'm making my money every year with my band, but the, the average folk don't know it like, like Foreigner, you know, so you got to kind of explain to them, I'm in, I'm in Turtle's Jaw, what, Turtle's Jaw, oh no, we, you know, we're like progressive and you know, we do, you know. I've been around for 15 years, you know, we did, you know, oh, cool, man, that's great. You don't have to look you guys up. But you go, oh, I play with Foreigner. You mean you play Hot Blooded and I want to know what love is? You know, like, so there's, yeah, that that's cool. I get, like, that's, it's nice to, you know, I guess it's sort of, you know, it's instant respect because you're playing with some, with a brand that's well known, you know, to, so, and, and it, yeah, it doesn't hurt, man. Having a nice resume for all these years, you don't see it while it's going on, but now, Right. I see it differently because now that's what I can rely on because anybody could say, well, you could, if, if my name came up for something, well, he's done this and this and this and this. He's proven up to this day, he's out with his Dead Daisies band. Okay, we're not, the, the Dead Daisies is, is not a, a, a hit single heritage rock band from the 70s with, you know, but it's a band and it's not even, a, it's not a household name by any stretch, but, but I'm saying in the, in, the bus- in the business, like in the if any anybody in the music business knows that band, oh, it's these guys that have all been in all these bands. So there's a little, you know, so it's looked at a certain way. But oh, you, you know, he's, he's out there doing that, and he's, he's he's still out. He's out with Felder. I see he's doing sessions for this and that, and he's played with these bands. Okay, he's still going. He's still working, and uh, you know, so that 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 just helps having a solid resume with solid names. You know, if if you're not in your own band with your own hit singles and you're not like Alex Van Halen or something like that, 
that's what we all want, you know, to, to, uh, to be able to get to the, whatever the next place is, you know, and uh, which I don't know what it will be. And I, you know, none of us ever know, but I know that certainly helps because we've all been in those situations. Oh, we got to get a guitar player for this gig. Oh, who, what's he done? Who's he? What's he? Oh, you know him? You've jammed with him? Who's he played with? Oh, he played with her and him and that. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? It's just, this is how it rolls, you know? Uh, is the ball rolling for you? I mean, are you doing anything proactive just to stay busy or is just years of doing this, your resume, all that stuff is in play that keeps you busy, keeps your calendar full? That, that's a good question because a, a, a drummer recently wrote me, um, hey, how you doing? Hey, I was wondering if you could talk, uh, talk for a few minutes. I wanted to talk about like the drumming slash networking. And, and I kind of sensed that it was like he maybe wants some advice on how to, I don't know, network, whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and I, my, my reply was, was I don't know how to network because I, because I don't like I do, but I don't want to do that. Like, I don't like it. I, I, watched other people get respect from their playing when I was younger and I watched how they reacted and it was like with, with humility. And I was like, yeah, man, I want, I don't want to talk about what I can or can't do. I want to sit down. And my first thing I want is my two and four to hit you in a way. I want that two and four to make you go. I don't know what it is. So, you know, so how do you play to a click, Brian? How do you, what's groove? I don't know. I just know what makes, I want to make people move and, and dance. And I don't care if it's a pop, you know, side stick ballad or a bashing metal song. I want the two and four to be like, just, you know, uh, just, um, you know, there's no questioning it, you know, and, and the, I want the band to feel that immediately. As soon as you hit something, I want that guitar to be like, that's the pocket. That's it. Yes. Don't move. And I don't want to move. And I want everything to have a place. And if I do a fill that wasn't there the other night, I want that fill to have its own character that still says, here we go into the next section. Pow. And I hit it in a way that made you excited. And it wasn't like, oh, I threw you off, you know? And so that's, that's, that's where I, what I, where my mind starts. And then there's all the other stuff that the, the flash or the visual or the, all that stuff is, uh, secondary but it's all it all adds to the you know to the, pie, to the rest isn't by networking it's by your playing <laughs> and, and because the thing about i mean you know i grew up in the in the late 80s trying to figure out this whole music business how do you have a career in music out of berkeley music college berkeley they can't tell you what to do except don't sign anything without a lawyer right and Outside of that, which I stupidly didn't listen to when I was 20, 21, I'm in Atlantic Records signing freaking contracts with no lawyer because I'm all paranoid. I'm in Atlantic. I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. I don't want to sign my name to this band that I – oh, my God. It was ridiculous. But uh, um, So I have all these crazy experiences like that, but but uh, but nobody can teach you what to do. And, and I, just, I just figured – and I've had those experiences. I played. Somebody came up and said something nice. They happened to be in a band. They happened to know somebody. They recommended me because if a, as a drummer or a musician, you know, a drummer, just doing something that moves somebody, I don't have to talk. None of us have to talk. You have to play. Has anybody talked to Phil Rudd? <laughs> I don't care, man. Listen to that dude's groove with ACDC. Just listen to how the listen. That's all I need. And that's if Phil didn't say anything. Maybe he never talked to Angus. Maybe he walked in the room one day. He was like, "How you doing?" He lit up his cigarette. And he started going, and Angus went, and then Malcolm, and they're like, "All right, man. Here's the next song. Here's the next song." He's like, "All right, all right." 
This one goes dun, 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 and he went get it, get it. Like, all right, maybe 10 years later, it's still in talk. It's like, all right, here's the set list, Phil. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was what was important. Now, obviously, you got the hang. I, sh I shouldn't just say it like that because the hang is important. You can be a killer, drummer, musician, whatever, get, you know, get, have great opportunities. Then you get around the band and you're a dick or you're just not fun to hang around with. Or you're just like, just like a curmudgeon or whatever it is. You're, you're a negative nanny, you know what I mean? And, and that, that's going to affect, you know, the, that's going to affect things, you know? Right, right. Also, right. you can be too much of a goofball, which I'll probably, I probably, once I feel comfortable, that's the first thing I want to do is start fucking around and joking and <laughs> making things. I, I, I've always, I was like mad I wasn't the class comedian in high school, you know, I wanted to be. And, and because I, I love, because rock and roll is about not going with the flow. It's about, it's about taking chances and it's about this happened and it wasn't supposed to, but it worked out. It's like, who, it's about Zeppelin in the middle of Days Confused. It's about the who in the middle of whatever jam they're in. It's a, it's it's also about precision and detail and focus. And you can't get to the place where you can let loose until you've put the time in, as the, to put time into being well rehearsed and knowing your shit. And then once you do, you can go. Well, are we the kind of band that can go off? Are we, you know, can we can we take chances? Deep Purple, whatever. Like like. Those guys fine tune their shit, and then they go, "Okay, this is the these are the parts where we just go for it," you know. And I love that's what I I love the most because because that's that means you're not following rules, and life is all is there's so many rules in life. You got to do this and do that, and everything's got to be a certain way. And 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 if you can get yourself to a place where you don't have to be that, then you are Van Halen, you're fucking Zeppelin, you're fucking Rush, who maybe yeah rush bunch of goofballs go watch them meet have to hang out together it's fucking funny as anything but their goal was this pre the precision side of things where people go to see rush like whoa it sounds just how are they duplicating the record it's perfect i want that just as much as i want the who you know i want that that, that middle i love all that shit you know so but but based on your reputation and all these things it it it, it starts small i think people want things so instantaneous but what you're, it sounds like, I'm guessing that your advice to this person was just play, get people to hear you play and let that be your networking. And, and, you know, this person's had gigs. This person has, you know, he might have his own uh, idea of how to go about things. And, and uh, some people try to network and too much and they, and you can kind of see through it. It's like, like, I don't want to pump myself. I do it on social media to, to, because perception is reality. Like, you know, oh, dude, you're always working. You're always, no, well, no, I can tell you just, I can tell you just as many down times and anxiety ridden, stressful times as good. Maybe, hopefully, more good if I had to look at a graph. Hopefully, it's more positive than negative. But there's no guarantee just because you have gigs or you, 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 you're working now that six months or a year from now, I, there's until I'm sitting with like a, a chunk in the bank where I don't have to think and I can do whatever live off of interest kind of thing, which I'm nowhere near. I'm just saying I've never been there. And to be in that place, that's a whole other take a big breath kind of mentality. Uh, I, I'm not there. And, and uh, um, it's so I'm always I have to think and I guess now I think even it makes sense to have to know you know sooner than later what's the plans with the band next year what's going on or make a plan for the next year because i've been in the position where 
Um, and some of it's my own fault. I've quit bands. It's like that. Most drummers would be like, I'm never quitting. Like this is bam. This is the gig because it's works. They work a lot. They're successful. I'm making good money and I'm playing drums and the bands go, like, but I, that's goes back to my twenties and thirties of like, I don't want, I didn't want to just be this. I didn't want to be in a known band working, you know, 10 months a year, even, no matter how much I love them or, or grew up on them or they're my friends. I was, I took this stance of, well, if I got here, why can't I get somewhere? Why can't I go one step more? Like what, who, what would stop me from going to the next level? What's the next level? Well, the next level isn't what you may think it is. It's what I, I think it is. And that's, you know, personal achievements and happiness through your, via the dreams and goals you set on your, yourself as a kid. And that's all I know. I don't know what it's like to not have that pinnacle I'm trying to get to. I don't know. I just, it, 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 been doing it my whole life, you know? So there's a bit of frustration there constantly, but I'm also like, Hey man, you know, you get, you know, you look at your surroundings, you look at your life and you look and you go, I've, I've done this. I, I, sh I should be somewhat proud of what I've done, but I could have done all this in the space. I, everything I've done, I could have done when I was 22, like meaning gig wise, like ability wise, like I could have, it's not like I had to practice 20 more years to get to this place. I could have done all this back then. I had put my time in, very dedicated, especially, well, not especially Berkeley. It's just at Berkeley. It was just like, that's all I did for three years. It was just like, I didn't party. I didn't go out unless I was going to see Tony Williams or freaking Satriani or whatever that Schofield or whatever. I, you know, I was practicing and watching everybody else around me do things I couldn't do. It's like, I got to get better. And, and the clock's ticking, man. I'm getting in my twenties. I got to like, I, you know, bottom, <laughs> bottom recorded Zeppelin when it was 20. Come on, Van Halen in the early twenties. Like that's, you know, and then the grunge thing hits in the early nineties. I'm like, I, you know, these guys are all like a couple years older than me or what, you know? So I was like, I got it. So, but you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how you just know you play and hopefully people talk, you know, like I, I, I'm going to, this is a perfect example. So I'm 21. I'm playing this Sunday night club every Sunday night with with Dave Larue on bass. Dave plays with uh, Steve Morse now. Dave's um, and this guitar player Stan Steele. We had a trio. We started playing every Sunday night. We did play this club in New Jersey. Skid Row's from New Jersey, so this is like '89 into '90, and Skid Row's big, right? And Scotty, who's a buddy of mine now, he's a buddy then. He would come in and get up and jam a song with us, Scotty Hill, and I was like. All right, Scotty, and I've told him the story because it meant a lot. It it it's it's one of those things that I put in the file of of things that there was no you didn't earn anything. Nobody hired you, and you didn't get a check. But what it gave you was this was decades. Now it's literally decades of of what I was what I've been talking about. If I'm here, I can get there. If I got myself here, I can get there. If I had that experience, why can't I have that one? And Scotty gave me one of those. He he didn't realize he didn't realize any of this, but I told him a few years ago how much it meant to me. He's like, I was like, all right, Scotty, see you next week. And he's like, oh no, well, I'm going, I'll be back in two weeks. I'm going to LA or something. I was like, all right, cool. Two weeks later, he shows up, jams a song with us at the end of the night. And I go, hey man, how you doing? You know, we finish. It's like, cool. He's, he goes, yeah, I was trying to get you a gig in LA. I was there last week. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, cool. Now this is, L this is like 89.90, right? So this LA, like this is where it's all going down, right? And I'm in Jersey. And he's like, yeah, man, um, they just, they, but man, they, they just got a drummer this weekend. And I was going to tell him about you and I was going to say, you got to get him out here to play. And yeah. he meant like, if, if he said that to them, 
there's a damn good chance that could have happened. I would have gotten that opportunity out of nowhere. Like this is not in my league. Like I'm not a part of And so I'm thinking it's like a local LA new band, you know, that's got, you know, they're playing around town and Scotty knows them. So I go, th thanks, man. I go, what, what, what band is it? He goes, Guns N' Roses. Holy shit. So they had just got Matt Sorman that weekend. Uh, and sorry, I dropped my, my, my pick. Not that it matters for this interview. Can't do the rest of the interview without the pick. Um, but yeah, I was like, as a 21 year old kid, I'm like, Scotty Hill from Skid Row was going to recommend me to possibly audition for Guns N' Roses. Like, so what's networking? Networking was playing that sun, Sunday night club, kicking ass, making sure that I threw down Sunday nights at midnight, one in the morning. And when the guitar player from Skid Row happens to pop in and jam with us, he remembered me. We became buds. He went out and he, that was, that could have possibly happened. You know what I mean? Like that's, I didn't try. I tried to play ass kicking drums. You know, I tried to, so obviously when you got on stage and played rock and roll from Zeppelin, one of those, and, and, and uh, you know, he, Felt, you know, he heard me play, he thought I was good, but then he jammed me, felt good. So he was ready to go say something to like the biggest man in the world at the time. So I, I, I don't think you can, uh, I mean, that story is so perfect in unpacking the question that I had for you. It's yeah. just kind of like, you know, how do you deal with this? How do you do this? There's no strict formula, but really you want to be known for your playing, not your networking skills. Uh, you know, forced yeah, and 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 I think like somebody might be a, a great like networker, might be like a Kenny Aronoff, but it's not. I don't think Kenny. I think it's just his personality. I've been. We all known Kenny since the '80s. I mean, come, come on. But since then, the dude hasn't stopped working. He's a great drummer. He's a great guy. But he's his personality. He's a, mm -hmm. he's a great hang. He walks in the room. He's very easy to talk to, to hang with. He has experiences um, more than most. He's done great for what? What are we talking? Fifty years now, something forty something years. I, it's like it's and and his personality lends himself to 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 maybe naturally network. Like he's just he's that's just true. probably he's just a people person in that way, you know. Like he's always, and I think that creates that networking vibe as opposed to trying to. I I I, I know other people that are the opposite of him, but still get work and are respected. Because it's yeah, it does come to the playing, and and I don't think Kenny doesn't run around trying to talk about himself. He doesn't try to be, you know, boastful and braggadocio about what he's his achievements. They speak for themselves, and yeah, for sure. he's proven himself. So I mean, he's on a high level, you know, you, you know. But but how did he get there? He got there probably a because he's great, great rock drummer comes in prepared as fuck, like always prepared, always on the money. And and this is this his his. His career is his life, meaning, you know, I can't sit here and say what he does, you know, throughout the course of a day and hobbies and all that shit. I just know that, you know, I think he, like like all of us, he loves drumming and to be able to give him a life where that's what you you get to do. And that's where I'm not complaining. Like, man, before I put any uh, expectations on myself or or even dreamed or put, put some goals out there, uh, I was a drummer. That was the first thing. It's like, drums are cool. Look at that picture of drums. Listen to the drums. Oh, like, I could play a beat. I could sit here and, like, I knew that. That was like there, ready to go. Yeah. And when I went, put, put the kick in, and then my uncle came on my kit and went, sat down. It was like, boom, 
bat, boom, boom, bat, and put the second bass drum in. I was like, oh my God, that's like the best sound in the world. Because I only, nobody taught me. I just knew, go, go, go. And he went, boom, boom, bat. I was like, oh my God, that's, and <laughs> that one little thing, that's so, like, but that's how it still is. It, like, I still feel that. And that, to be able to spend my life, and there are struggles. It's not like, oh, dude, I woke up and everybody's calling me and I got work. And I'm just, it's, so, it's unbelievable. It's, it's a struggle, but I'd rather do this than struggle doing something I don't like. You know what I mean? Uh, there, it is, there it is. I mean, gosh, even we talked first talk, talk about, think about all those people that are sleeping on the streets, struggling. Yeah, it's a different kind of struggle. But w one last question. Um, is the is there plans to bring Bonzo Bash back? What's going on with that? Nah, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, no, it was. There's so many great things about that. It, it lasted 2010 to 2019, so that yeah. that is 10 years. I think we all think that's nine, right? As soon as you say 10 to 19, you got nine years. But it started in 10. Last one was 19, so that's like you, know, you want me to count it: 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So yeah, 10, 10 years. Um, and I yeah, man, so many great experiences, so many great drummers. This is great vibes. It's a great idea. I've, I just thought it was fun. I was going to book a room at a rehearsal hall, just like put the drums in there with my buddies, and we're all going to jam Zeppelin. I was going to invite drummers down and get a keg and have a party. It was literally just going to be that. It wasn't going to be like a show in a venue with tickets and merch. It, none of, but then I went, but if I call these drummers up and we all do have a party, that's really cool why wouldn't we all want to do that for people to see you know i don't want to party a club i don't want to i don't want to deal with booking a club and dealing with all this shit. i just want to jam on them with my friends that's what it started as but my buddy who worked at the key club in west hollywood i we, he was he put on a monthly jam thing and i was playing and we we're talking about it and i said hey, joe i have this check this idea out what do you think about this bonham kit front of the stage band in the dark man we don't even care Band in the dark, light on the drummer, singer off to the side. Uh, each drummer picks their favorite Zeppelin song, and I get guys from well-known bands. Yeah, and, and he was like, "That's a pretty cool idea." And I go, "I go, it's like May, May of 2010." So I go, uh, "Well, Bonham's anniversary is September 25th. You know, the 30th anniversary is passing, and we're talking in May." And and Joe goes. He goes, uh, he goes, ah, man, it's a Saturday night. He goes, oh, man, some asshole promoter booked that night. And I go, oh, who, what is it? He goes, me, I got that night on hold. Let's do it. So I was like, <laughs> cool, man. So we, so we went for it and I started calling drummers and, it was, and that's how it started. But I had so much fun and it was so awesome to get, not to mention the Bonham family was there, which wasn't expected. It didn't, you know, Jason closed the show. He, was, he happened to be in town. Oh, it was his, his sister, his mom. Is, is uh, John Bonham's uh, sister, which is Jason's aunt, you know, Deborah, she, there was, she came up and sang like, well, that was, the, that, so they had the VIP table on the second floor. So every drummer went out and knew that Bonham family's up there. Like that was like, whoa. And, but it was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. That's why I did it for many years after that. And that also parlayed into Randy Rhodes remembered, which was equally as great because I grew up playing guitar since let's say seventh grade and that's when blizzard of oz came out and that had such a huge impact on me, impact on me that I, I was like i don't know what randy rose is doing i know a few riffs on guitar i know some real basic basics but i want to learn this like i want to learn how to do this and, and 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 it took the randy rose remembered shows for me to realize that record 
the Blizzard of Oz was the, 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 the catalyst to getting me to get way more serious on guitar, you know, which was never that serious. I was never like, but I was constantly playing drums and guitar, drums and guitar constantly. And uh, yeah, but, but the Bonzo Bash, um, it, it's uh, funny. You mentioned that, that, that you, the Nashville drum show, right? Is that what it's called? Nashville yeah, drum show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you guys did that thing. It was kind of based off of Bonzo Bash. And, I, and over the years, I've heard about other Bonzo Bashes in, on, in Hawaii, Montreal, Seattle, somewhere in Europe. There's just a whole bunch of places. But then uh, Costa Rica. So it ends up I'm going down in a few weeks to Costa Rica to do their, their drum festival. And that's how they asked me to do it. I go, yeah, yeah, come down. They go, oh, we also have this thing. It ends up. I didn't realize many years ago, this guy who runs the drum festival came and saw a Bonzo Bash, wrote me on Facebook, and I remember I was on tour and he wrote me this long letter how much he loved Bonzo Bash and he wants to do his own, or maybe it started doing his own or something. But I, I had to check his name and go back into Facebook messages and see. I never replied to him then, but I had the intent of it. It was just one of those things where I'm not going to be like, hey, bro, how you doing? Thanks. Bye. I wanted to reply. Right, right. Real detail. Real. And, and then I've been touring and I, I spaced on it all these years later. But it ends up, he's like, oh, you want to be our special guest at our, whatever it's called, Bonham Fest, part of this drum fest. So he's been doing it. Like, it's like it's, it's the eighth year. And he's, same thing. It's a Bonzo Bash, it's, you know, with all these Costa Rican drummers. So that, that'll be fun, you know, to go down there. So it's nice to know that that idea. I had to call some people, oh, Kansas City. There was, they were like, Bonzo Bash, Kansas City. It's a club. I'm like, me and my partner are like, what? what do you talk, like, we don't want any, like, take credit for your show. Just give it, give it its own name. Don't call it Bonzo yeah, right, Bash. Right, 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 right. So, like, if, if you kick ass at your show, I don't get credit, right? Like, because, you know, oh, you know, anybody who knows the show, like, knows it's mine, right? So take credit, put your own name on it. Like, one dude in Montreal calls it, you know, um, what's Celebration Day, Bonham Celebration Night, something like that. You know, cool. It's your own night. It's the same concept, but it's nice to see that because I thought it was a great idea. I was like, how is this not cool to put the drums up front, playing Zeppelin all night with all these drummers from well, the, dude, the dude from ACDC and Tool and, and Rat and Quiet Riot and Paul McCartney and like, they're all, Chili Peppers, they're all going to sit. So that's like, I don't say that I know them, but I'm saying that that's the, the for somebody who wants to come and see it, it goes, Wow, all these drummers from all these bands playing together, that's cool. And they're playing Zeppelin and it's a tribute to Bonham. But as far as drummers, I was like, man, Chad Smith's coming, Danny Carey's coming, Abu Boreal, you know, uh, Bobby Blotzer, Simon Wright. You know, I was like, this is some of these, most of those guys I wasn't uh, tight with, or maybe I'd only met a little bit, but instantly through those hangs, you're all buds. Like it's a, it's a, it's such a great, there's so much great camaraderie in those. And um, yeah, that's, it was, it was addictive and that's why I kept doing it. Cause I was like, got to take it to the next level. Um, I wanted, I, this could, this should be at the Greek theater, you know, 7,000 people. That's how I felt because it was that exciting to me, you know? Yeah. That's, I mean, I feel that way about the podcast in many ways. It's just, it just, it's, it's just hard not to do. I'm kind of addicted to that and it builds community and it reinforces this addiction, this weird thing that we have with drums and music and all this stuff. And it's just been, it's amazing. And it doesn't always transcend itself into like work and gigs and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, it just keeps you invested. And, and, and you but it learn- does do, does do a lot of stuff that I wasn't even expecting. First of all, the experience, I wasn't looking at it like I'm going to learn from this. I just did it. And then I'm realizing how much I'm learning. 
and mm-hmm. gaining from these experiences, being this person that has all these hats on and having to balance it. Because my thing was, I can't have it. It has to be organized. I can't have people not know what I know. Like you just have to, unless it's like some behind the scenes detail that only matters to me, but just the general stuff, like just keep it organized. So every, everything's smooth sailing. So there's no bullshit. There's no weird. It's just gotta be a fun. It's gotta be fun. That's why I'm doing it. So that was always the goal. Just give everybody information and, and, um, and, get back to people quickly and out of respect to all these drummers and anybody that's being a part of this. I, I like, I'm, you know, some of these people are my idols. Like, so, and I don't care if you're my idol, you're my friend, I'm treating everybody the same. So no, it, like that's how it was. The only person I made their name bigger than on the, on the poster was Carmine because he is a legend and he had the history that everybody in that room, he's the only one that could tell those stories. He's the only one to be like, yeah, Bonham. He was one up. of Bonham's influences too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I don't care how it comes across in interviews. He's always been great with me. We're buds. And, um, he doesn't, he might come, come across a certain way. Cause I remember being a kid, you know, reading what he said when Bonham died and he the modern drummer issue comes out and Carmine's sitting there saying, Oh, I did this first. And I was like, Oh man, but you know, I don't know what it's like to be him and be, he really was setting a new standard in rock drumming and power rock drumming and, and, and at a time where volume was a thing and PAs were becoming a thing and monitors, like everything was changing in live music and he was adapting to that. And he was, I talked to Michael DeRozier, Michael DeRozier's like, like he's like, Carmine was the, the, um, he was the number one power rock drummer. That's it. He was the guy. Everybody, he's he's the man. You know, I was a little, I wasn't around then. You know, so and then I look at you know how how amazing. Here comes this new band Zeppelin to the states, and they're opening up for Vinyl Fudge. And Bonham's aware of Carmine. He's a fan, and Carmine sees Bonham, and he gets him his kit from Ludwig, and that whole thing happens. Like you know, you're the only dude in this room that can sit there and talk like this. We're all we just grew up on Zeppelin records. You know, you have this. You, that's like when I used to whatever on a way smaller level. I'm just saying, thinking like, what what can I equate it to? It's like you know, I used to hang out with Ray Luzier in Hollywood. Like it's like, and I'd fill in for him at PIT and you know teach when he couldn't, and we jam. I'd be on guitar, I'd be on drums. He played with my band when I was like singing, playing guitar. Like, and I'm like, that was just our little point in time in the '90s. And uh, and, and and but imagine if like we were became these these two drummers that like i mean led the corn i mean raising corn corn's huge they're awesome but saying zeppelin zeppelin you know and vanilla fudge was already making in you know was already a, making waves they were making a big you know big thing about themselves back then it's like it's like he's the only dude that that in those shows so i always made sure he's he's you know the uh whatever the special guest or whatever we call him he was a co-host always put his name bigger, but everybody else is treated equally, you know, but Carmine, you know, but he's still coming hanging. He loved the hang. Cause he, cause he, cause he knows what he is, you know, and he walks in this room, like, you know, yeah, it just added to the show. It always added to it. Carmine's Carmine's great. And, uh, but yeah, I, I don't, I won't do it anymore because, uh, it, it is a lot of work and, and it's another one of those things like, um, it's a lot of time dedicated to something that there's a lot of risk involved. There's a lot of time, like, like it's just many months of prep, and I don't know if I want that responsibility anymore. I've proven I can do it. And uh, honestly, I'd rather just play drums all night myself. Instead of, like, <laughs> you know, like, like, cause it's a lot of pressure. Like I, I want everybody to be happy. Yeah, there's a lot of times where like, I've got to get some sponsors in and make sure they're happy and they, 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 don't, they don't have the proper pass or they couldn't get into this. And then it's like, everything fell on my shoulders. Like if something didn't go right, somebody else did something wrong. 
it all comes back to me. And it's like, I can only, you know, so yeah. Well, it, it, it definitely had, had an impact. Um, I, I think just in the community overall, you're hearing about other people doing it or doing spinoff versions of it. Um, you know, so it, it, it definitely, I mean, it, it came up in my notes along with so much other, but man, this has been amazing. We got to do one drum thing. Cause we got to go, we would go, I know it's freaking two hours. This is something I've been doing for years, never on the kit. It's a, it's a practice. This is for hands and feet on desks and floors only. Love but it. everybody can start working on this. It's not it's, – it's, it's a mirror lick. You do it this way and then you do it that way. So it's like alternating flams, right? Plat, plat, plat. It's like it's a mirror, mirror lick. But this one is simply just right, left, right, left, right. So you just got to – it's like a five-stroke roll, right? So it's beta, boodle, bat. Okay, fine. We can every. I'm sure most of us, right? Mirror, mirror it, but not in quarter notes. Mirror it as a dotted eight. So it's dega duga that, dega duga that, right? So you got. So I almost suck. I never tried slow anymore. Right. So it's right, left, right, left, right, then left, right, left, right, left. So dega duga that, but it's like dega duga that, dega duga that, dega duga that, dega duga that, dega duga that. So it's like a duga duga that. You know, it's like a. Got an eighth kind of like. So let me see if I can spit, freak it out. But because uh, I just started to do it when you're talking, and I haven't done it in a while. Right? Does that sound does that sound pretty clean uh, on your side? Yeah, that sounds good. That yeah. sounds But then I start to hear it as get get like one of those blues that things. I start to hear like almost like the that thing, you know. Which I don't do in solos anymore, like because when I learned it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like Minnie and Bizonette and like, whoever else, you know. Every and now the blues does like uh, it's like a rite of passage. I got some fusion chops, man. You know, like oh, I don't yeah. like. The, I'm with you. Yeah, but it's like I would do it back in like Berkeley when I learned it. I was like, and then I put it in here and there, like to show you I got my blues done together. And I was like, I don't really like the sound of it because it sounds like I'm trying to show you that I've got my blues done together. It's not like. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not as kick-ass as like when Gad goes to his like, get it, get it, get it, when he does his, you know, bucket of fish or which I call the roach. Cause now we get, but cause a roach is, but it's not a roach. It is a roach cause Carmine, I go, Carmine, who invented Decatur? But he goes, well, uh, Max Roach, you're for Big Sid. And I'm like, okay, so I check that out. But why do you write Big Sid for Sid Catlett? So did he write yeah. that and put the blues, the, the bucket of fish in because Sid is actually the one to do it first. And I still, many years later, haven't gone back to check out if Sid is the one who invented Degadadu, because that is one of the drums kit's best licks ever. Degadadu. You just, dude, it's, that's massive. You can't, so Bonham does a stereo to heaven. It's perfect. One of the best ever. When Gad does it, he keeps, it's more like, uh, it's more like correct. It's like right on the bar correct. It's like more, what is it? Um, Metr not met metrically correct, right? So it's just it uh -huh. fits in more exact, you know. But how he does it is he, Gad, Gad, one of the best ever, one of the best mm -hmm. improvisers with all the shit he created. Oh my god, I love Gad. But anyways, so yeah, this it starts selling a blues that I just went off, you know. But that's the lick, guys. You know, so somebody get back to me. Let me know that you listen to the end of the damn show, and we got. See, so in my head, I started right, but it immediately goes because it gets that speed, and I hear my accents. Then I want to accent. So your hands are going. So it's a. 
It's like a flam tap. It's like if you even it out. Yeah. Right here. It's like. Yeah. Man. But anyways, never done it on the kit ever. Never on the kit. But I'm a, I'm a good, like, you know, that's like a bedroom drummer thing. It's like, you know, all the guitar players on Instagram, they're, dude, it's like, whoa. And then, but you're like, yeah, he's, he's got insane chops. Everything's amazing. Vibrato's killer. He's got no, he's, he doesn't play with people. He's in his bedroom doing oh, this. Oh, I know, I know, you know? I know. So this is like a bedroom drummer. I'm going to be practicing this on a plane, man. I'm going to be driving the person next to me crazy. Well, you could, yeah, it's good for your thighs too, you know, because it, you know when you go to show somebody a lick and then you go, oh shit, I'm not, like you're on a surface that doesn't, like if you're on a rug and you want to show them and the rug doesn't have any attack and you go, you thought yeah. you were going to nail something and you know your hands are projecting way more attack and your feet aren't like, and then you automatically have to make an excuse and now you sound like the excuse speaker guy, even though really it's a valid excuse. You can't hear my feet because the rug is thick, but you can hear my hands on the table. And they're like, yeah, yeah, keep practicing, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but you, you could, but this is like, you could still get this on your, I, it might even be a little harder on your feet because your thighs are moving, you know, on, you play on your thighs. Yeah. Then, oh, the new one, if you want to go one step lower, make it into, do two right lefts, like digga digga dat. So you go, right? And then flip it. So I don't know what that becomes. Like digga 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 Ah, hold on. They've never done these on the drums, but they're 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 they're, they're bedroom bedroom drum licks. That sounds great. That? That's a five, isn't it? Wait, yeah, it's like a five group. Yeah, so I'm getting better at it. Are you hip to this word, hemiola? What is it like a? I've heard, I think I think I've heard I've heard the word, but go ahead, tell me. It's like it's like a bastardized herder or something. Uh, he mean, yeah, right, right. Now, uh, 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 Dave Brubeck uh, described it as a word. He thought it was a, it was a rare skin disorder uh, suffered by the Spanish Armada. Basically, it's a music term which is like goes over the bar line, and that's what that sounded like to me. Like like uh, you've got. Well, it just it just goes over the bar line or like you know it just it just i'm describing it poorly is that is that is that a correct hemiola is the correct term for that for real yeah it's like it's like a pattern that doesn't stay within the four beats of a bar it goes over the bar but the pattern repeats so like uh there's a song called surfboard by joe beam and it's like uh, it's like one, two, one, two, that, that's that, 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 but there's there's rushed up. No, they kind of stick into seven. I don't even mean it's all Meshuga. Every uh, freaking yeah, you know, well, Meshuga, I mean, the Herta. Yeah. How about that? A Herta Hemiola. Yeah, that's a that that's a lot of shit right there. Including that's a Herta Hemiola. Uh, I love that guy. And 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 for all you drummers out there, here's another one to work on. Say Getty Lee really fast, and that's how you can do the triplets. It's the most precise with your 
with your mouth. If you say Getty Lee really fast, that's the word. So as a kid, I didn't realize it was Getty Lee. I started going, I started being like, you know, like the intro of Over the Mountain, like So I got a pretty good triplet. Like, check it out. I think it's pretty good. It's not dugga dugga. It's not dugga. It's not dugga 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 dugga. That's all right. But this is get it. You got to roll the tongue every third. Get it. Get it. Get it. So if you go get it, get it. But don't go get it. Just go get it. Get it. And it sounds like get it. 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 That's a, I don't I don't know any other way to get triplets rocking that you know so if you're like get it 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 and then you can you know get it 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 you know bedroom drum stuff. Oh, anyways, yeah, practice the bedroom licks, guys, but take them to the kit too. You know, don't be like me and just let them sit on the freaking desk in the floor forever. Like I got a bus. I got you guys somewhere. I'm gonna remember the next drum solo I do, which would probably be. Oh, I got a. I got a. Well, it's a, this is a double pedal lick, it's a double kick lick. So I can't do it at the Moby Dick show in a couple weeks, but they'll have a double pedal in Costa Rica for me. So, but see, I can't use double pedal at the bottom show, but in the drum clinic I can. The master, whatever I'm doing. So maybe I'll do it down there. Yeah, it's only. It's just good for a flurry. It's just good to do as a flurry out. You know, to spaz out into something else. You know. That's amazing. I love it, dude. This is cool. Brian, thank you so much, man. Keep in touch. I'll do the same and kind of let you know how things are going and when this posts. Great. Thanks, Matt. Good talking to you. Good hanging. Have a good rest of your day. See you, man. Take it easy. So there you have it, my conversation with Brian Tishy. Go check out Zach Wilde's record, Pride and Glory. Man, Brian just sounds amazing on that. It's uh, it's really super fun. I mean, he sounds amazing on everything that he does, but that record just really resonates with me. I feel like it represents his playing in just a, a really great way, and you can hear Bonham's influence on his playing. So it's amazing. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview with Memphis drummer Danny Banks. He tours with artist Nicole Atkins. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Be safe, try and be sane, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.